0: Welcome to the Calvary Young Adults Podcast. We exist to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. Here's today's sermon. But If we haven't met before, my name is Sarah. I get to be one of the pastors here at Calvary Young Adults. And I'm so glad to be with you guys as we dive into our last night of the first series of the year. New Year, New Rhythms. If you've been with us, we have covered everything from fasting to prayer to solitude and silence. And today is special not only because we're ending this series, but can I just get like a shout if you've been participating in our fast? Yeah. How many of you got to break your fast? Well, okay, are we not? <laughs> Some of you are like, ooh, I broke my fast a long time ago. It's okay, there's no shame. <laughs> but we are so encouraged that you guys participate in this fast with us to any degree, whether it was the 21 days, which if you didn't know, that ends tonight. So if you haven't broken your fast, be blessed, you can do that. But also just the fact that you would try it out, that you would look at biblical truth and say, hey, if the Lord says there's goodness that comes from this, if Jesus himself did it, I'm going to try it on. And we learned just through even our text in fast that 60 of you guys at least texted in to receive encouragements every day. So hey, that's, I feel like that's a good number. We're proud of you guys. I was very blessed to break my fast this afternoon. I was like, I did not know how hungry I was. Um, but with that, we're just gonna end this series on a topic that I feel like resonates with a lot of us. Even as we consider the idea of like, what would I do if I had a whole day off just to myself? And what I want to talk about tonight is the topic of rest, the topic about rest. Essentially, rest is to take a pause from labor or activity in order to be rejuvenated or restored. To be rejuvenated or restored, just to take that rest. And what I know is as people, we're multifaceted. There's different aspects to our lives that crave and desire us, and they kind of fall under the idea of this, that you as a person created in the image of God, not only you don't have a soul, but you are a soul. You're a soul. And the the Hebrew word for this is nefesh. And I could spend a whole sermon on talking about what is it to be a soul, but essentially I'll break it down this way for our time's sake. It means as a person, you have a mind, you have emotions, and you have a body. And in some mystery of how God created you, those things are all intertwined. And when we take inventory of those things, one thing we ask ourselves is, am I feeling rest in those different areas? To start the night, just get us warmed up. If you met your neighbor, congrats, we're gonna be interacting a little bit more. Um, Just to start, I just wanna take an inventory of our rest. Like how rejuvenated, restored do you feel in these two areas? The first being the body or your physical sense, and the second being your mind and your emotions. So all you got to do—I'm not going to ask too much. You don't have to divulge any details. Therapy session. Um, just turn to your neighbor, and we're going to start with our, our physical rest. And just on a scale of one to ten, just you can either flash a number or tell them like verbally. I'm like a three. So just like in the count of three, just like give them whatever number on a scale of one to ten. Physically, I'm feeling blank. Okay. All right. One, two, three. Oh. Okay. Okay, I love that the first number I heard was a nine. Also, you guys are just overachievers. I hear you guys, like, explaining. You're like, I'm a six, but, like, it's okay. You don't have to explain yourself. If you were to ask me how I'm feeling physically today, um, first I have to preface by telling you I love sleep. Like, I am an eight-hours-a-night girl or parish. Um, You could ask my husband, he was like, Actually, sleeping longer than eight hours isn't good for you. And I was like, I beg to differ. I, I think I need it. But last night, I did not get a good night's sleep, so I'm, like, rocking maybe, like, a six or a seven, which is not usual for me. Um, But what I know, too, of, like, our physical sense, it could start to bleed over into our mental, emotional selves, like, our state of rest in that way. Um, so next, I just want us to, like, take a moment. Inventory, okay, my body's feeling blank. Um, how are you guys feeling Mentally and emotionally. Ooh, I know. Now we're like, I don't want to talk about that one. Um, And again, you don't need to give an explanation. All you gotta say is like the number. So on the count of three, I want when you're considering, be honest. Be honest. Just turn to your neighbor, and I'm I'm feeling blank. Okay. One, two, three. Oh. (laughs) All right. That time around, the first number I heard was a three. So I'm not saying that's the whole room. But what I, what I know to be true about this is sometimes, as easy as it could be to diagnose, or easier as it is to diagnose maybe our physical state, sometimes it's actually can be a little easier to treat, right? Where you're like, OK, I'm tired. I got to get a little more sleep. Maybe not be on my phone so late. Maybe eat a little better, move my body. like. It seems like there's manageable ways we can move from a place of exhaustion to rest with our bodies, but when it comes to our mind, our emotions, that can get a little tricky. That's why I heard some of you guys go, oh, I don't know about that one. Or maybe you've been at a certain number and you're like, I'm just at my, I don't even know how to move that number anymore. It feels like I'm just so flaky, like I can go one way one day and the next, the next, like what do I do? But the good news about being a soul and having these things interconnected and having a creator who made us for these things to interact is there's actually truth in scripture to help us to find rest in every area. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. And what I'm going to start by is examining the area of the mind and the emotions, because truly I feel like that's the trickier avenue. But the assurance, again, is as we look at these areas, God has something to say, about our minds, our emotions, and our hearts. And as I looked out at the word of God, when we start to look at the mind and the emotions, and frankly, anecdotally from my own life, I came to find this one truth I'm going to focus on. That one of the major enemies of our rest when it comes to our mental state and our emotional state is encapsulated in a word, and the word is worry. It's worry. It's worry. Worry is an enemy of our rest. Worry is an enemy of rest. And here's what worry actually means. Here's the definition of worry. Worry is to give way to anxiety or unease. To allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles, to like live in those difficulty and troubles. The reason I share that definition is I think we can take the word worry and we kind of water it down. Like we like meet people and we're like, ah, she's just a worry wart. Or, oh, my mom, she worries because I stay out late. But then we look up the definition, and I feel like it's the word anxiety that kind of catches us more. Because like so much of temptation and sin in our lives, like, it's not a temptation to have a thought of worry. Or, sorry, it's not a sin to have a thought of worry or to be tempted by worry, but it is sin, meaning moving off the mark of how God created us to be and to act and engage with the world, to give in to anxiety. And that's the kind of where I want to talk about tonight. So when you hear me speak, I might use the term anxiety interchangeably with worry. And part of that is I just want us to connect those two things to understand that there's something about anxiety, about worry, that is actually not only something that's annoying or maybe distracting, but that's actually harmful to the rest of our souls. Because when we start to take those anxious thoughts and not take them seriously, it's not as if they go away. We actually start to meditate on them. And I don't know if you've, you've felt this, and Michael's kind of brought this up a few times, but anxiety is kind of this low hum that seems to be constantly present in our culture. We're constantly getting input saying, hey, pay attention to this, this is important. If you don't agree with this, there's something wrong with you. If you don't actually look like this or talk like this or do this, and you're constantly feeling maybe like a little off kilter, like you're entering a space and you're like, I'm not actually sure how to present myself. I'm a little more self-conscious, self-aware than maybe a few years ago. It's all around us. It's what we swim in. And if we're not careful, it could actually start destroying this beautiful connection to our creator. See, for personally in my life, and I'm willing to guess yours, um, worry has been the chief thief of my joy. Like the chief thief of my joy. It's the difference in my life between surviving and actually thriving, having a life that is fruitful, that I'm present, that's enjoyable. And for us, truly, I believe living a life of worry is the difference between living a life of soul rest, just like rest, knowing who we are, knowing who God is, and a life of soul restlessness where we just constantly are pulled by the streams of other people's thoughts and opinions, by the enemy, by the world. So tonight we're gonna look at what God has to say about worry in light of this life of rest that he has for us, that he's promised us. When Jesus said, come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We're gonna unpack, what does that actually look like? What is our role in participating in that? And before we get there, I just want to give this disclaimer, this preface just from the top. I recognize that if you're like me, the anxiety you face may be caused by a chemical imbalance. It might be caused by past trauma, recent trauma. Perhaps it just feels like, okay, this is a more regular thing. Um, And to that, I just want to say, like, we do serve a God who heals. Like, He'll heal you in a moment. But I have lived most of my life where God has chosen to heal me gradually through his truth, through prayer, through therapy, and even through medication. So I just wanna say that from the top. I just wanna invite wherever you are in your relation to anxiety to come into this space and hear the truth of God, knowing that his word does not return void, that he has truth to speak over your life. But if you need help, if you're like, this is just out of my ability to manage, which let's be honest, all of it is, um, please find us after service. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to help you. Because nowhere in my message, I'm just going to say this to you, are you going to hear a promise for a worry-free life? As long as we're on this side of eternity, worry is going to be a temptation. I'm not going to give you on a tutorial just how to avoid like, situations that give you anxiety, where we're just going to like stay out, like, protect our peace. Like That's not what you're going to hear. But you are going to hear how we can develop a response as a people of God in the face of worry that produces a life of rest in the middle of a frantic world. You guys with me? Yeah. Okay, awesome. All right, let's dive into the main passage. If you have your Bibles, please meet me in Matthew 6, chapter six, verses 25 through 34. So you use your phone. It's all gonna be up on the screen too. No judgment if you're, you're looking up past my shoulder. These are the words of Jesus to his disciples. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat, what you drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? He goes, look, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He feeds them. He says, are you not much more valuable than day? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Now, first of all, I feel like this hits different after a fast. Like, some of you might have just learned, you're like, wow, life is more than food. <laughs> like, it is more than food, or more than sugar, or more than alcohol, or the stream of media we tend to feed ourselves. There is more to life. And that's what Jesus says to Satan, right? When he's tempted in the desert, he says, man woman, should not live by bread alone. Like there is more to life, yet I love what Jesus is doing in this verse. He's identifying that we have practical needs. We have practical needs. We have rent that needs to be paid. Uh, Some of us have student loans that we would like to make go away. And for many of us, I know in this room and in the greater community, like food on the table for ourselves and our families is a big deal. Like it's a big deal. And I feel like I'd remiss without like listing these things to tell you that that is also a part of like, who we're supposed to be as the church, that acts 242 community. If you're out there and you're like, I need food on my table, I need clothes, come to our campus on Tuesdays. We have a free farmers market called Fresh Market we have a food pantry, we have angel threads, which some of you guys helped with the sorting. Like part of us being Christ in the world is to help meet those practical needs for one another. And we have the privilege in our community of doing that. So there's no shame, no shame at all. Come talk to us afterwards because we want to make sure that we're being like Christ and helping one another meet those urgent needs. But then there's a different level of worry I feel like Jesus is also speaking to in this passage. And that's not the urgent, but it's more the important. Because I'm gonna guess that most of you maybe aren't thinking about putting food on your table, but maybe there's a more abstract need, an abstract need. And I just want us to think right now: what what are you worried about being covered in? Like, what are you worried about being covered in? It's not clothes. It's not food. I'm just gonna take I'm gonna take some guesses. I've been in this community for a long time. I'm also a young adult. I want to say two two of the main things I hear that I'm going to share because I just want to break any sort of shame you might feel about this. Um, first is figuring out your career. Like some of you might be in college and you're like, I'm a freshman. I got time. Relish in it. <laughs> like explore. Some of you might be graduating and you're like, I literally don't know what I'm going to do after graduation. And then some of you might be more like what I've experienced in the past. Like Two, three, five, ten 10 years out of college being like, God, what do you want with my life? I'm starting over again. I thought I was going this way with my career or my community, and now I'm going this way. Like, God, are you going to show up for me? I've been asking for clear, Like, what's next? God, are you going to lead me? And then the second one that, again, I'm just going to say, because it's so common, I've been there. Like, Lord, I don't want to be alone forever. Like, are you going to provide a spouse? Is that in the cards for me? Because if not, I want to know because I want to stop wasting my energy, you know, right? And we can like laugh at that, but we also know like in private, that can like really cut. These are things that captivate our hearts and minds and I believe are so important to God because they're things that can control us. So I just want you to think about that thing. What, what is it for you? What is it for you that causes you worry? The Greek word for worry is merimna, merimna. And like we've said, we know worry means to be anxious, but it also means to be troubled with cares, to care or look out for. And then this last definition, I kind of want to hone in on it, to seek to promote one's own interests. To seek to promote your own interests. I believe this last definition is actually what we can get caught up in. Oh, I'm not worrying. I'm just trying to get to the bottom of it. Have you figured out a solution? No, but I've actually thought about 40 different ways this could fail, and I think I'm really getting somewhere. <laughs> oh, no, I don't have anxiety. I just need to know she's going to say yes before I ask her out. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not worried. I'm just thinking about what it'd be like to like go back and live in my parents' basement, because literally no company is ever going to hire me. Like, these are real thoughts we have, and we can pass them off as like, I'm being helpful. I'm, this is useful to myself. But let me tell you right now, the biggest lie about worry is that it's useful. It's that it's useful. And I believe this is what Satan wants us to believe, and I, fall, I still fall into this trap daily. Like my husband can see into my eyes, I'll like zone out because I'm just going into this like little workshop where I'm like, I'm gonna figure out a way out of this thought pattern. And it's just me running in circles in a tiny little room because I have actually convinced myself and maybe you have too, like, I can outthink this. If I look far enough into the future, I could actually run through every scenario. I can figure out and actually bring my own peace. And am I the only one where that never works? Where I actually end up, well, I guess so. <laughs> if you've found a way for, to make worry work, I'm concerned. Um, no. Um, but no, I, I usually end up feeling more tired mentally, physically, emotionally, and more helpless and more negative when I started, when that first thought of worry came into my head, because the truth of worry is that it's actually useless. It's useless. And that's not original to me. This is what Jesus is saying when he says, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Like he's saying it from the top. Why? Because God is not going to call us away from things that are useful. He's only going to call it two things that are useful. So if he's saying, don't worry, then we don't need it. In fact, we don't want it. I love how Irma Bombeck puts it. She says, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you never get anywhere. Like, can you imagine? You're like, I'm going to run a race. And I'm in the talking. You just like are going to drive yourself mad. Or like, if you were ever a kid and tried, you know, really to go ham in a rocking chair and just like fall over. <laughs> You're like, broke that heirloom. Sorry, grandma. But that's what Jesus means when he asks, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Can any of you by worrying actually get anywhere? The claim I want to make tonight, and I've said this before, but more than useless, worry is harmful. It's harmful, not just to our health and our overall well-being, our souls, but ultimately, it's harmful to our relationship with God. And anything that's harmful to our relationship with our Creator should not scare us, but make us pause and say, I don't want that. I don't want that anymore. Simply put, worry creates not only a restless person, but a trustless person. A trustless person. Worry uninterrupted will slowly rob you of your trust in God. It's like you're like, screaming at God, like, God, I've been sitting in this rocking chair expending all my energy, and what are you doing? I'm not getting anywhere. That's a broken picture, Right? You're expending all this time and energy doing something that's not even useful, and yet we can get to a place where we blame God for the outcome. And I've been that person. I've been disappointed by God and its timing. I've been hurt by others, frustrated with life circumstances, where instead of leading with a spirit of love and hope, my thoughts have actually begun to be directed by a spirit of fear that's fueled by worry, which will tire your soul, my friend. It's tired my soul. It's brought me to my end so many times back to that place of survival versus thriving in the identity that the Lord has for us. And here's the thing, where we will do everything we can to try to comfort ourselves in that place, to frantically fix or numb or medicate that worry. And worry does not go away when we try to ignore it. There's a song by United Pursuit, which was the opening song we sang by Will Reagan, not in a hurry, love that song. But there's another song that I tend to listen to just to have it like be sung over myself on days where I feel like I can't get out of my head, I can't get out of my worry. It's a song called Lay It All Down, highly recommend it. But the opening verses go like this. I'm not gonna sing it for you, Don't worry. Um, I can't sing. Um, My husband can sing. Okay, carried on, but your heart was tired. Feared the worst and felt the fire. And there's kind of this chorus in the back singing, lay it all down. There's like this competing narrative. Filled with all those anxious thoughts and your doubts became your God. This is why worry is dangerous. When we stop trusting God, we actually don't stop looking for a place to put our trust in. Maybe that one more time, when we stop trusting God, it's not like we're like, "Well, I'm not going to trust anything ever again." No, We actually look for a new place to put our trust. And it's the "When your doubts became your godline that convicted me." that convicts my soul that it's so easy for me to make an idol of my worries. To give them all my attention, which guys, that's actually what worship is. When we give something our attention, almost with the secret hope that it's gonna help us. We're like, the power of this one thing is more powerful than anything else. Therefore, I'm focusing on it. I'm putting my mind. It doesn't mean it feels good, but it's worship. It's worship. And it's taking your worship away from the Lord. But I think what's so beautiful, and this is why Jesus is so kind, like he knew that about his followers, He knew that about the people he's interacting with and talking to. And he's going to help them and us thereby face this dilemma, which is why he points out he's like almost trying to take their eyes up from inward looking at themselves, looking at their issues, going, hey, look at the birds of the air. Like God created them and they don't worry. He created them in the system where they would be fed by him. And then he asks this question, are you not much more valuable than they? He's reminding the listener like, hey, hey, you have a good father. He actually created you and he loves you and he has good for you. Like, hey, look at this like lesser creation. You are, he's saying like, do you believe it? Like, do you believe you're more valuable than a sparrow? Do you believe you're more valuable than these beautiful parts of creation that we can look at and be in awe of, yet you are more valuable than they are? Like, that's your father. That's how he feels about you. And Jesus is just like a prime question asker because he wants us to actually consider that. Jesus really is just like, here it is. He's like, no, no, I wanna know, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Let's imagine being in that crowd when Jesus is addressing his followers. He continues on in Matthew 28, he says, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor and spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, who's like considered one of the most wealthy men, kings in all of history, had just the finest clothes. He said, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Jesus is so brilliant. Jesus is brilliant. He's smart. Can we just say that? Like, Jesus is a smart guy. And here's what he's not trying to do. He's not trying to mock the needs of his people. He's not like, oh, you need clothes? That's cute. Go grab a flower. (laughs) Like, good luck. (laughs) How's your sewing skills? No, but like, I think more than just illustrating how the father creates things and then finishes the work of taking care of them, he's giving his followers, I think, two really helpful frameworks to combat worry. And the first is this. In Jesus' illustration to his listeners, talking about the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, I believe first, he's trying to help his listeners understand how God sees them how God sees them, worthy of care, valuable. And then secondly, I believe Jesus is trying to help them understand how they are invited to see God, the truth of who God is in his character, that he is a good father, that he is an attentive provider, that he has follow through when he creates something. You see, God's character, his attributes that make up who he is, who he's always been, they don't change. They actually can't change. That's like one of the attributes of God. He is unchanging. But what can change is our faith and belief about God. In other words, what can change is our perception of who God is based on our circumstances, on our experiences. And suddenly we become like a ship in a storm without an anchor, again, just tossed by every emotion, by every feeling, by every input that is outside of God. And Jesus, I believe what he's saying, he's like, hey, just because you're anxious about this thing doesn't mean God is. Just because you're giving into anxiety doesn't mean your anxiety is telling the truth. When we stop believing and seeking the truth of who God is, our anxiety and the uncertainty begins to reign. It becomes our idol, the thing that we worship with our attention, with our affection. And that's why I firmly believe that the root of anxiety is actually mistrust first in God's character and then in his provision. Like we don't ask for help from people we don't trust. Like think, okay, well, I don't want to... I was gonna say, think of someone in your life that's flaky, but I'm like, don't, don't make eye contact with anyone. But like, truly, like, think there are people in our lives who are like, you know what, I'm probably not gonna ask you to watch my dog because you sometimes forget to eat yourself. Like, or like, I don't know if I'd lend my car to you because your driving history, I was that person for a while. I've gotten better. <laughs> but we don't ask for things from people we don't trust. So before we stop, like, we can start from that place of like, well, I don't trust God because I don't know if he's going to provide. What you're actually saying is, I don't trust God because I don't really trust his character. I don't think I really know who God is. And if you're like seeking and searching out who God is, you're in a beautiful place to be. But I think some of us who have been following Christ, what can happen is we start out really stoked. Like, we're like, God is good. I love him. He's amazing. And then we pray, and then there's a gap between when we pray and when we want the response and the provision. And in that gap, what the enemy does is he just comes in, and it's like really subtle. It's really sneaky. He just comes in, and he just starts whispering, and he goes, you know, I think God must be preoccupied. You know, you you prayed that, and I know it's good, but I think God's actually just uninterested in your worries. Or how about this? I think God's annoyed by you. I think God's mad at you. God's actually not just, because that thing that burns in your heart to see justice, he hasn't really resolved it yet in the world. Or maybe God's just not actually powerful enough to change that circumstance do you see how sneak that is? Has this ever happened to you? Where you like get a thought and you're like, well, that doesn't feel good, but maybe it's true. Or maybe I was talking to a friend about this and she's like, it's it's not that. Sometimes I just feel like when I pray, God's gonna like answer my prayer, but he's gonna be more like the genie in Aladdin where it's like, I didn't say the exact right thing. So then the answered prayer is gonna be kind of this like contorted version of what I wanted. How, how many of you seen Aladdin? Are we 90s kids? Okay, all right, all right but like these lies can be so sneaky. Like I was thinking about it, and I feel like when we have lies that just like permeate our atmosphere undetected, it could almost be like, like carbon monoxide. It's this invisible poisonous gas. Now, I'm not trying to unlock any new fears. We, most homes have little detectors, but like undetected, if we breathe it in, we begin to be disoriented, and at the end of the day, it can just become toxic. It could become life-threatening. I think the same is true when we let those lies just permeate, and we entertain them, we make room for them. So I'm wondering, in light of this caring, intensive, and able father that Jesus is talking about, is there a lie that you're believing about God right now? That's like permeated your atmosphere? Like, this is uncomfortable. Like, no one wants to be like, no, God is good all the time. But, like, I can guarantee you we've all believed some sort of lie about God that doesn't match the description of who Jesus is and who Jesus testifies to as his father. So what I want us to do, um, if you're wondering why there's a piece of paper on your sleeve, now's the time. Pull it out. Don't write your name on it. And I just want us to pause and consider what lie are you believing? Also, there's pens for like every other chair. So if you don't have a pen, get to know your neighbor. But I just want us to write down that lie. And maybe like, maybe it feels so true. It doesn't even feel like a lie. Maybe it feels more like a grievance of like, God, you've been far. God, I feel like you don't care about me. Like, this isn't a row session of the Lord, but I just, thought we need to bring these things to the light to identify them. So just take some time, write it down. And I hope in this process it actually brings relief to know that when we bring things to the light, we could actually match them to the witness of who God is through his word, through those in our lives, and we can dispel those lies. So take your time, just in the next few minutes, write it down. What I love, like, again, Jesus is brilliant. He's teaching on worry and then later on in his teaching, so this is in the next chapter, in Matthew chapter 7, this is what he says. He actually addresses this head on. He says, Matthew chapter 7 verses 9 through 11, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? What I want us to hear from that, Jesus like witnessing and testifying to the character of God, is not the prosperity gospel. I don't want us to walk away and be like, okay, well, Jesus is Santa. Like, I can ask him anything and it's going to be good. But what I truly believe Jesus is trying to paint is a clear picture of the Father of his character who's a god who's not apathetic or far off but invested and very near ready to provide good quality things to those willing to ask we need to be people who test anxious and untrue thoughts about our god to know the truth by going to his word and i'm just going to i'm going to throw those same lies up on the screen And what I did is I went ahead and I took truth from scripture that combats them. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read through every single verse, but I just want to encourage you, like, if you struggle with anything, take a picture. And if you're like, I don't see my lie on the screen, now you got homework. Go home and compare what you're believing about God to the truth of his word. Find that truth, write it down. I'll just give you one example. That first one, God is preoccupied. He's uninterested. I'm sorry, Psalm 139, one through six says, the Lord has searched me and knows me. He knows when I sit down, when I rise up, he discerns my thought from afar. He's searched out my past, my lying down, and he's acquainted with all my ways. He is not disinterested in me. His eye is actually never off me. See that, that feels good. When we lean into the truth, when we walk in the truth of who God is, and the list goes on. I could have done this all day. Because when we have a correct view of God's character, we see God has always been and truly is trustworthy. God's trustworthy. And what trust does, trust in God allows us to rest first from our own worthiness and then from our own abilities. From our own worthiness and then our own abilities. That's kind of the gospel, right? Like we don't have to be good enough. We don't have to outthink our worries. We don't have to outact our worries or our circumstances. We get to call on the one who is able. We just sing that like, God, you are more than able. Who am I to deny God what you can do? We get to rest from trying to be good enough, trying to be smart enough, able enough. We just need to know who to look to. God is our help and despite the lies, he is good and he is trustworthy. So then we don't have to be like sheep without a shepherd. If you've read through the word of God, boy, do the authors love sheep analogies, including Jesus. Part of that, it was written in the context in the ancient Near East, which if you go there today, there are still a lot of sheep. It's a part of their agriculture, it's part of their economy. But Jesus himself says that he is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He is the one that causes us to lay down by streams of water and in green pastures that he walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. But what happens to a sheep when it doesn't have a shepherd? Actually, I have a picture. Meet Prickles. Prickles is a sheep who apparently for seven years did not have a shepherd. They found him wandering out in a field and Prickles had developed 90 pounds of wool. Extra pounds. 90 extra pounds of wool. And at first, like, I love sheep. I'm like, oh, it's so fluffy. Um, Actually, this is like suffocating Prickles. And not only that, but what happens when sheep, like, accumulate all that wool underneath, that's where parasites get in. That's where all sorts of, like, bugs get in and like start to like get under the skin, infection comes and it makes the sheep sick. Like this sheep, not doing so hot, not doing so hot. And guys, like, let me tell you, without stopping our anxiety and addressing our restlessness, we become a lot like prickles, aimless, literally weighed down and infected. By lies that have festered in us, which is so much of how of our world today is. Without Jesus, we don't even know it. You walk around the wolves over the eyes. You're just like, what? What way are you even going? What way am I even going? I don't know. I'm just wandering, trying to do my truth, my way. And again, Jesus knows this. Like, there's so much that is not new under the sun, and that's why the Word of God is just timeless. It's alive. It's active. Jesus addresses this in verse 31. He says, So do not worry. Say, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? He says, For the pagans, those who don't know me, who worship other gods, perhaps their own worries, run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He just keeps reiterating that, like, hey, hey, God knows what you need. He knows. Don't waste your efforts. He knows. Part of believing that God is a good father is removing the pride in our hearts that have hardened ourselves to this truth. Peter, the apostle in chapter five, verses six through seven of 1 Peter says this, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. And I think we can forget about the importance of actually repenting to God for our partnership with certain lies. I did this just yesterday where I had to go before the Lord. I was like, Lord, I have partnered with the spirit of fear. I have actually found more partnership, more agreement with the spirit of fear in my life lately than your spirit of truth, than your spirit of love or joy or peace. I had to come before God and say, Lord, I'm actually, I'm sorry. I'm sorry because this has been harmful to me but it's also put a divide between you and I. It's me looking at you and saying, God, I actually don't trust your ways. I don't trust your will, I don't trust your heart. And then to even come before God and say like, I have all this dead weight and I can't get this off myself. I'm like, my life is becoming infected by these lies. Jesus, my good shepherd, would you actually sit with me and help peel off these layers to make me well again? So I want us to find that piece of paper, hopefully it didn't go far, Um, and under that that lie that you wrote, that you're believing about God, I just want you to write your number one worry right now. Maybe at this point in the sermon, you're like, Sarah, you told me, we can't worry. But we know the truth is we need to bring these things to the surface. Your number one lie, just the first thing that comes to your mind, I'm going to join you guys, just write it down. And okay, now I want us to do a little something together. Okay, you guys ready? Okay, I want you to take this lie. I'm really sad my pen didn't work, but I'll tell you what to write. I write. I was gonna write that I, the lie I believe so often is that God actually doesn't care about my anxiety because so often I feel like it just doesn't go away. But you know what that does? It actually makes me more anxious and I don't go to the Lord with my anxiety because it's a lie. But what I want to do, I want to do two things. The first is, I want us, on the count of three, to look at the sheet of paper, and I want us to be truth over it, okay? First thing we're going to do, we're going to shout at this little piece of paper right here that represents a lie in our lives. So we're going to say, God cares for me. Can we do that? So do your practice. One, two, three. God cares. Oh, I need more than that. Like, guys, like, you're speaking truth over a thing that's trying to destroy you, okay? We're going to use a little umph. Ready? One, two, three. God cares for me. good job. So you might not feel better, but it's true. And it's a gradual process. But I hope there is some sort of relief where you're like, yeah, God cares for me. Look how small this is, right? Now we're going to do something real fun. So that first Peter verse says, we're going to cast our cares upon the Lord. And cast is just another word for throw. So I want you to take these pieces of paper and I want us to crumple it up. Okay, that's got to feel good. That's got to feel really good, right? And now on the count of three, we are going to throw high over our neighbor's heads, and we are going to cast our cares and say, he cares for me. You ready? One, two, three. He cares for me. Do you guys feel better? Do you feel a little better? Come on. Okay. Thank you. Praise the Lord, right? That we have this opportunity to cast our cares on the Lord. Jesus ends his encouragement in this way. He says, listen, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all this provision that you're worried about, all this provision will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We can cast our cares upon the Lord. Why? Because we trust him with our tomorrow. We trust him with our tomorrow. And guess what? Trust is an act of defiance in the face of anxiety. That's what we just did. That was an act of defiance, guys. Let's Let's go. Now, if rest truly is the ultimate act of trust in God, it is. It's the ultimate act of trust in God. And rest before God means coming close to him, right? Once we establish that trust, we could actually come close to God and say, okay, I'm figuring out that you're good. And once we start to trust him, we actually allow ourselves to rest physically before him and our minds and our emotions and our body. And what happens? That good shepherd gets to get to work. And then one day, eventually, we, we start to look like prickles after picture. <laughs> Yes, you guys are invested now, right? that That is a bird. The great shot, right? I was like, what a nature shot. He's 90 pounds lighter. Like, do you guys want, like, would you like to be 90 pounds lighter of your emotional anxiety? Okay. Your emotional anxiety, guys. Come on. Come on. But do you know what's so profound? When I was thinking about this, again, that sheep needed to be still before that shepherd, like physically be still. And that probably took a really long time to unmangle, to wash, to shave, and then to like treat the infection so that he would be healthy again. And I just think that's the patience of God with us. That's the patience and provision of God, where He's like, "Listen, it's not going to happen all as in your time, but come before Me, be still before Me, and we're going to get to work. I'm going to get to work. All you need to do is be still and to rest." So the final practical I want to share with you, and I was like, "Man, I could preach a whole sermon on Sabbath," but I'm going to give you like a quick snapshot because I would be remiss if I did not share this. So Sabbath is an intentional day of rest, full day. It was written in the Ten Commandments. It was exampled by God on the seventh day of creation. And basically, it just means that you pause from work or labor to simply enjoy and reset and commune with God. Sounds nice, right? We are so bad at that. Like, if this was still a commandment that would be, like, enforced by law, like, we'd all be in jail. Like, we do not rest. We do not rest well. But I just want to give you just, like, a few Sabbath habits All right, Sabbath habits, to consider implementing on your next day off. It's going to take time. You're going to have to guard this time, but think about this. Sabbath habits, minimize distraction. You've been doing this through your fast. Set aside labor, like hard labor. We're meant to rest our bodies. Reset your body with sleep. Do some joyful movement. That just means like you don't always have to exercise for the sake of like losing 90 pounds. Um, No, but you do it because you're like, man, I feel good when I move spend time with a friend, spend time creating or being in creation. And I promise one thing, like if you want to optimize the rest of your soul, make time for Sabbath each week. All right, as I call the band back up, thank you guys for being patient. As I call the band back up, I'm gonna ask you guys to do one more thing, one final thing. I want you to find a piece of paper that isn't yours. You get up, find a piece of paper that isn't yours. Now we're like, ooh, I wonder what everyone else <laughs> And yeah, you can open it Keep if you want to keep it crumbled just for now. I was talking to a friend this week about the idea of rest and resting in the character of God and his provision. And she made the point, she's like, rest isn't a passive act. But I also believe that when we talk about spiritual disciplines, they're also not always meant to be solo acts, things that we do just by ourselves, like solitude, sure. But as a community, we want to be people that move into these rhythms together. So what I'm going to ask you guys to do as we enter a time of worship, we're going to do some little instrumental, keep the lights up a little bit. I want you to read over this, and I want you to pray. I want you to pray for your brother and sister, the lies they're believing about God, the worries of their heart. And then I want you to take this throughout your week. And as you consider your own worries, as you consider the lies that you were trying to uproot and take before the Lord, to take them with you, to cast their fears and worries before the Lord as you cast yours. Because as a community here, we're going to do these things together. We're going to be the people that point one another back to Christ and seek the kingdom together. Let's worship. Thank you for listening to this message. I hope it was a blessing to you and want to invite you to join us on Thursday nights for service at 7 p.m. To connect with us, follow us on Instagram at calvye underscore or on our website calvarywestlake.org.